This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you stopping in for a few minutes this morning as uh, we work our way around the world of sports and the world of pop culture. That's where we're actually going to start this show. Um, The cancel culture continues, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure it's ever going to go away. Um, the latest one to bite the dust, we had some Dr. Zeus books last week. Uh, the latest to bite the dust, Pepe Le Pew. It was, uh, um, Warner Brothers uh, has a new Space Jam movie coming out, and uh, the Pepe Le Pew scene has been chopped from that. Um, it's coming out on July 16th. Um, there are no plans. Uh, Warner Brothers says that Pepe's basically uh, not in any of their future plans. They've got some other movies coming out. He is not going to be in any of them. Why? Well, this is all stemming back from a column that was written by Charles M. Blow in the New York Times that said that the cartoon character of Pepe Le Pew added to the quote-unquote rape culture here in the United States. Pepe Le Pew adds to the rape culture. Uh, Let me just point out that Pepe Le Pew is a cartoon that goes back 70 years. And yes, I I get it. The, you know, the whole idea of, you know, that he's pursuing the cat and he's, uh, you know, I mean, I get it. But it's a 70-year-old cartoon. And people will say, well, children watch that and, you know, children pick up stuff from cartoons. Please stop. You know what? And if you're worried about that as a parent, seriously, uh, have a conversation with your child. But this is, I mean, this is just, it's a 70-year-old cartoon that was meant to be funny. And it wasn't, you know, Charles Jones, who actually was the guy that that developed the character, it wasn't about him trying to rape this cat. It was about, you know, he saw himself as the perfect suitor. He's a skunk. It was funny. It was a skunk thinking he was great, yet he stinks, and yet and people couldn't seem to... You know, I mean, come on. It's just absolutely insane what we are doing. You know, and I have a very good friend who is a managing editor of a newspaper chain in Massachusetts. Mike and I have been friends for a long, long time. And he said the other day that he didn't understand the outrage over the whole Dr. Zeus thing. And he look, he's he's from Springfield, Massachusetts, born and raised there, and and so he's a fan of Dr. Zeus. But he felt that what the Dr. Zeus Foundation did with these books is was the appropriate thing because it of the stereo, racial stereotypes, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, young minds see that and they perpetuate it. So he thought that it was a a fine thing. It was a good thing. Look, I tend to disagree. I get where he's coming from. I get it. 
but if you really believe that a two-year-old child that you're reading to is, you know, and you might show them this picture and you're reading it, and a two-year-old child is going to pick up on the fact that this depiction of an Asian person is racist and they're going to perpetuate that for the rest of their life, I have a hard time believing that. And again, if you think that's a problem, that's a conversation that you have with your child. You know, that's the problem that I have with what's going on in the country is that we're just canceling stuff. We're not having conversations. How about we talk to, you know, people and say, this is why this is not kosher. It was a moment in time. And, you know, this is why it wasn't good. And and put it in context, you know, kind of like tearing down all the Christopher Columbus statues and the Confederate soldier statues. I get all that. But let's put it in context Let's not erase our history. Let's put it in context. And, and this is what's bugging me. Now, the, the thing with Pepe, the pew pisses me off even more, and I'll tell you why. The scene that they had with Pepe Le Pew in this movie that was cut out was a scene of Pepe Le Pew basically getting his ass kicked by a woman that he was hitting on. It, it, he puts it, there was a section there that he is actually uh, hit playing a, uh, a bartender. And he starts hitting on a woman at the bar played by this actress named Gracie Santo. He begins kissing her arm. She pulls it back, and then she slams him into the chair next to hers. He, she then pours her drink on him, slaps him really hard, uh, basically kicks his ass. And even Santo, the actress, was angry when the scene was cut because... It shows a woman standing up for herself and not putting up with that kind of behavior from men. And, you know, if more of that happened, if women stood up for themselves and were, you know, not afraid to, maybe some of this behavior would stop. You know, maybe if the the, the first time he had kissed a woman and got slapped, Governor Cuomo would have never done it again, for instance. So, you know, so she was angry just because, you know, it was a, a chance for, you know, to show women. And again, we, maybe we're stretching the point a little too far. At the end of the day, it's a movie and a cartoon. But Pepe's getting his ass kicked. You know, so this is just, uh, <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy, you know, with what's going on in the world. Um, you know, there was another there was another thing this morning on the Today Show, and I haven't done a lot of research on this, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But do you know that there are digital images on the Internet that are selling like artwork for hundreds of thousands of dollars? A couple of things are selling in the millions for a digital image or a digital video. And what's that mean? It means that you get the original. You get the original file. Well, big deal. You get the original file, but it's all over the Internet. You can see this same picture or this same video everywhere, but you have the original. So? That makes absolutely zero sense to me. So you're going to own the original of something that everybody has copies of around the world. I mean, and this isn't like, you know, having the Mona Lisa or having a print of the Mona Lisa where you can obviously tell the difference, a painting versus a print. This is this is a a a digital video or a digital image. Get this: there's a an image out there of the first tweet that the founder of Twitter ever put out, and that is somebody has actually bid two point five million dollars for this. And Sotheby's auction house is conducting some of these auctions. 
for digital pictures that anybody can see on the Internet anytime they want. You don't have to go to a museum uh, like, you know, go to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa. You can just dial it up on the Internet. Please tell me how that makes sense. <laughs> uh, you know, so anyway, I, I, I haven't looked too deep into it, but there was a, there was a story on the Today Show this morning, and in both the anchors and the reporter who was doing the pictures, they were all stymied by the whole thing. And I look, and, and I know I'm old, but I still don't get how this makes sense. I just don't. So, all right, that's uh, that's enough of that. Let's get to sports from last night. The UConn women's basketball team in the Big East tournament final, and as expected, they win it big. They crush Marquette in this game, seventy-three to thirty-nine. UConn got up twelve to two. Never let up from there. Pushed it up to 27-6 to six to start the game. They led by 19 at the end of the first, 18 at halftime, and the beating was on. I mean, it's just ludicrous how bad this is. The UConn women outscored their three opponents in the Big East tournament 234 to 119. 234 to 119. They, I mean, they, that, that's a, but for those of you that don't want to do the math, that is 115 points. That means that they beat their opponents by an average of 38 points a game. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Uh, it was a team effort last night. Everybody got involved. Kristen Williams, another strong game. Um, she had 16 points, shot six of 11, but it wasn't, it wasn't just that. Uh, she had the defensive assignment where, uh, you know, she had to, to guard the best player on this Marquette team and shut her down. Uh, she allowed lot to score, I think, uh, two points. I mean, think about that, you know, and the same thing happened the night before, you know, where UConn just, the, their defense was ridiculous. They allowed Marquette to shoot 29% from the field last night, 18 of 62. Good Lord. Forced 21 turnovers. Now, to be, now to, to be fair, this wasn't the uh, cleanest game you'll ever see. UConn turned it over 17 times themselves. But another blowout. Paige Becker's 10 for 15 from the field last night, 23 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, she, Nelson Adota, and Kristen Williams were all named to the all-tournament team. They should have just named the entire UConn team. Nika Mule, by the way, after turning her ankle the other night, People wonder whether she was going to play again. She played 31 minutes last night. She came out on crutches after turning her ankle in the first-round game and ended up playing 31 minutes last night, scored 11 points, shot 4-6, played great defense, moved really well, didn't seem to have any lingering effects. Uh, Gina was able to empty the bench at the end of the game. Uh, just crazy. Held Marquette to, you know, it wasn't bad enough that they were up 19 at the, uh, at the half. They allowed Marquette to score just seven points in the third quarter. Matter of fact, Marquette scored just 16 points the entire second half. 
it's just uh, a dominating effort as as everybody expected so there was no no surprise it was UConn's 19th Big East Championship, their first since 2012, obviously, since they went to the American Conference um, after that. But, uh, and, and, you know, this Marquette team, it's the fifth time, fifth straight time they have been the runners-up in their conference tournament. So um, the top 25 came out yesterday. No surprise, UConn still number one in the country. What was a bit of a surprise, and there was some talk last night, during the broadcast, and, and I'm not buying this, but and, and it's I, I think this is more anti-UConn talk than anything. But there was some talk that people think that when the final rankings come out and when they start when they draw the uh, tournament seedings, that UConn won't be the number one overall seed. That it's going to be Stanford because Stanford had a great Pac-12 tournament. Uh, they won their conference tournament games by an average of 31 points. Well, how about that? How about UConn beat that? Yeah, you know, UConn did it by 38 points, but the, you know, but they're look pointing to the fact that uh, Stanford had to beat the number nine team in the country, UCLA, at the time, and beat them by 20 in the conference championship game. So that somehow makes Stanford a better team than UConn. Um, you know, I'm not saying that that uh, you know they're not. I'm not saying, but it would be a, a great game. But here's the deal: UConn's lost once, once. Stanford's lost twice. You know, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that, uh, you know, but uh, UConn got 22 of the 29 first place votes. Stanford got five. I think that's the most anybody's gotten since UConn became number one. Stanford got five. North Carolina State got uh, two. Uh, Baylor falls to number six. Uh, Texas A&M drops from second to fourth after they lost in their conference championship game. South Carolina is fifth. Um, so the final poll of the season is going to be released next Monday, and then right after that, the NCAA will unveil their tournament bracket. Um, biggest uh, biggest changes in the poll, Florida Gulf Coast. <laughs> there's, there's a team you don't hear of very often. They're in the top 25 for the first time in six years um, at number 24. DePaul fell out of the top 25 uh, after losing in the conference tournament. And uh, other than that, uh, the biggest drop, South Florida dropped all the way uh, out of, from the top 15 all the way down to number 20. They are now 15 and 3. Uh, so nothing new in women's basketball here in the state of Connecticut. Um, Big East honors for the men's basketball season in the Big East were handed out yesterday. Uh, a few uh, UConn players were honored. Isaiah Whaley was named the Co-Defensive Player of the Year in the Big, Co- uh, Big East. He was... He shared that with Posh Alexander of St. John's. And Tyler Polly uh, was named the sixth man of the year, the first guy off the bench, the best bench player, essentially is what that is. Uh, and uh, that's a great comeback for Polly. This is a guy that uh, had that knee injury last year, uh, so it was great to see him uh, get recognized for what he was able to do this year. Uh, I mean, he had major knee surgery last year, and the fact he came back and he averaged about eight points a game uh, and shot pretty well from three-point range, and uh, led. Matter of fact, led UConn with three-pointers made on the season. So uh, good, good for him. Uh, James Booknight was named to the uh, Big East Conference first team. No surprise there. Uh, and Adamas Sanogo made the All Freshman team. Uh, other Big East awards: uh, Creighton's uh, Mitch Bollock won the Sportsmanship Award, and uh, the Most Improved Player as well. Um, so uh, the Coach of the Year and the Scholar Athlete Award winner. 
as well as the player and uh, and freshman of the year are going to be announced uh, tomorrow. Uh, UConn, of course, the number three seed in the upcoming tournament. It starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, UConn has a bye in the first round. Their first game will be on Thursday at 9 p.m. It'll be against either uh, Providence College or DePaul. Most likely it'll be Providence College. Providence College is the number six seed, and DePaul is ranked 11th. Uh, so we will uh, we'll we'll see about that coming up on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, the top twenty-five poll for men's basketball came out. Uh, no surprise again, Gonzaga still number one in the country. Sixty-one of the sixty-three first-place votes. Um, they are trying to become the first wire-to-wire number one in college basketball since the 2014-2015 season when Kentucky did it. Um, Baylor, with a nice finish uh, after losing a game after their long layoff, uh, jumps back up into the number two slot. Uh, Michigan drops from number two to number four after splitting a pair of games with Michigan State last week. Um, Gonzaga obviously going to be the number one seed. Overall, when the conference or when the uh, NCAA tournament starts, Dep- no matter what happens, you know it doesn't matter. But Gonzaga already won uh, the West Coast Conference regular season, uh, and they will play St. Mary's in the tournament semifinals, or actually did play them last night, beat them in the semifinals, and they will be in the title game tonight. Even if they lose, it's not going to matter. By the way, they will become the fifth team in the last 45 years, as long as they don't lose in their conference tournament tonight. They will be the fifth team in the last 45 years in men's basketball to head to the NCAA tournament undefeated. So, um, And speaking of college basketball, uh, Craig Mc, uh, Greg McDermott, the head coach at Creighton, has been reinstated, um, missed just one game after the controversial comments he had to his players telling them they needed to stay on the plantation, a real smart thing to say to a room full of black guys. Um, and, uh, but he, um, missed their final, uh, home game of the season. They went over Butler on Saturday. Uh, but, uh, the athletic director has reinstated and basically said that, uh, his comments and his apology and it, and his commitment to, uh, what they said was to grow and, and learn, uh, will, uh, led them to reinstate him right away. He's going to be participating, uh, beginning next month in the school's racial equity Institute. Um, and, uh, going to just, you know, look, here's the deal. It was a stupid thing to say, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things where I'm sure the second it came out of his mouth, he went, Oh yeah, that wasn't good. And we've all done it. Um, so, you know, let's, let's hope that, that it never happens again. You know, it, look, it's kind of like, uh, Kyle Larson, the kid from NASCAR who got suspended last year because he dropped the N word in a middle of one of those, uh, uh, e-racing things that was on during the pandemic when NASCAR had been shut down and they were doing like, uh, you know, video game, uh, racing on television <laughs> boy, how we've fallen. Uh, but you know, and, and it was something that was probably part of his, you know, he didn't, he didn't mean it the way it came out. I mean, it's just a word that's thrown around in a lot of places down South and it shouldn't be no question, but he probably wouldn't even think about it. Just threw it out there and he got suspended for it. Lost a lot of sponsorships, but he also, it's one of those things he realized that, Oh boy, you know, and he has 
rehabilitated himself. He has done a lot of stuff to show people that he's very serious about you know, the mistake that he made and that it's not going to happen again. And look what happened. Kyle Larson won the NASCAR race last week in Las Vegas. You know, a year after being suspended, people w- weren't sure he was going to be back in racing at all, and he wins at Vegas last week. And by the way, who was one of the first persons to go over to congratulate him after his win? Bubba Wallace, the only black driver in NASCAR, went over and uh, made a point of, of congratulating Larson. And, you know, so, you know, it's good that McDermott's going to be back. It's, uh, it's good that he's going to learn from it. You know, and if we know nothing, about this part of our history, this part of our lives. Nothing gets by anybody. With social media and the 24-hour news cycle, you can't say or do anything without it becoming uh, a national story if you if you make even the smallest step. And there are people on social media, you make a small step, they'll, you know, they'll make it, you know, they'll make you into the next Hitler you know, or the next, uh, uh, you know, head of the KKK, if it's a racist, I mean, social media will take the smallest misstep and blow it up exponentially. We all know that. Um, so while McDermott is going to be back at Creighton, Les Miles is not going to be back at Kansas. The head football coach at the university of Kansas, uh, has been fired. Uh, just days after he was placed on administrative leave, um, in the middle of sexual misconduct allegations from his former team while he was at LSU, um, Kansas fired him. They fired him uh, Monday night. They said it was a mutual agreement. Translation is we agreed to pay him a whatever percentage of the money he had left on his contract to make him go away. He had three more years on his original five-year deal, and he was getting paid two, two and three-quarter million dollars a year. Uh, which had several bonuses, including uh, a retention bonus that he got paid last November. I guarantee you, you know, what they probably said is, look, uh, you know, we'll split the difference. We'll give you $3 million to go away. And Miles, you know, if if he's smart, he took it. Uh, And look, Les Miles is 67 years old. He's at the end of his career anyway. Uh, He was 3-18 and in Kansas. It (laughs) It wasn't like, you know, uh, he he was having great success there, so it, it it's a way for Kansas to kind of start over again. And look, Miles was at LSU for 11 years, and he was in the middle of some stuff. He he actually was, they actually recommended that he get fired uh, back in 2013, and they didn't. They kept him on, and of course, we all know that he did well, led the school to a national title in 2017, I mean 2007, uh, had some great years in the SEC, uh, got fired four games into the 2016 season. But this is a guy that I- insisted, for instance, uh, that uh, anybody that any any females that worked in the football office had to have had to be blondes with big breasts. What quote unquote what he called pretty girls. Yep. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, and this is you know this is a long investigation that LSU put on into a lot of stuff that went on in the athletic department, and people testified to this. So. Uh, when it got out, you knew it was just a matter of time. So uh, Les Miles is out at Kansas, and uh, they will begin their search for a new head coach 
immediately. Uh, one of the assistants has been named interim head coach, but uh, you know, a big job like Kansas, they will be putting on a national search to find somebody uh, willing to take that job. It's 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a uh, Tuesday morning. Um, programming note, we have uh, high school basketball coming up tonight at 7 o'clock uh, from Xavier High School. Notre Dame of West Haven into play Xavier tonight. Notre Dame um, is one of the uh, top five teams in the state right now. Uh, they played a great game with Xavier first time around down in West Haven. Uh, Notre Dame won it by seven points. So the rematch tonight in Middletown. So we'll have that for you coming up at 7 o'clock. Did a game last night. Uh, the Cromwell girls uh, defeated Old Saybrook last night by a whole bunch in their final uh, uh, game, our home game of the regular season. Uh, the Cromwell girls now 7-2, and two, uh, putting themselves in pretty good f- position for the Shoreline Conference Tournament coming up. We'll probably be covering the Shoreline Conference Tournament depending on the COVID rules and depending on whether they're going to be at a central site or whether they're going to be on campus sites. Uh, so uh, we'll keep you posted on that there. Again, we're still slowly opening up the state here, and things are going to be more normal for the spring. But right now for the winter time, they're still being a little bit cautious with everything being inside. So completely understand that. So um, Also coming up on Friday, Dan Zampano is going to join us to talk NFL football. I know it's not football season, but a lot of stuff happening this week. We've got uh, uh, franchise tags this week. Um, have to be designated for individual teams. Uh, with that, there's going to be a lot of trading this week. Free agency opens up next week, uh, so there's going to be a lot of shuffling of the chess pieces coming up here in the next week. And Dan is already vibrating just just with some of the news that happened yesterday. Uh, the big news that happened last night, Dak Prescott uh, agreed to a $160 million extension. Four years, $160 million to remain as the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Uh, 126 of that is guaranteed money. He got an NFL record $66 million signing bonus. Uh, Now, why is that significant? That Well, what it is with the signing bonus, that can be prorated over a course of years so the cap hit doesn't hit the Cowboys all at once. Uh, because he's going to be making $42 million this year. That's just insane. Um, he is, uh, matter of fact, his salary is now second to Patrick Mahomes, who's making $45 million a year as part of that uh, 10 million, uh, 10-year $450 million contract that he signed uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Deshaun Watson, by the way, uh, former Houston Texans wide receiver, is third at uh, $39 million a year. So uh, Prescott, by the way, is the fourth Dallas player to get a $100 million contract. Uh, The first one was uh, Tony Romo. So uh, he's uh, following in pretty good shoes. And uh, look, um, there's been a lot of rumors going around with Prescott, whether he was going to sign there or not, whether they were happy with him or not. Jerry Jones kept saying all along, He's going to be my quarterback. We're going to get him, despite what the media was saying. They they even had uh, Seattle trading Russell Wilson uh, from Seattle to the Cowboys and then the Cowboys sending back Dak Prescott. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. It's because, you know, it's that 24-hour news cycle and everybody's got a show and everybody's got a blog and got to have stuff to write about, so we'll make stuff up. So, uh, 
so we knew that, that it was likely that Prescott was going back, and uh, it, it did happen last night. Uh, the Jets placed a franchise tag on uh, defensive back Marcus May. Uh, there were some trades yesterday as well. Uh, Isaiah Wilson got traded from Tennessee to the Dolphins uh, in exchange for some draft picks. And the Patriots are bringing back Trent Brown, uh, offensive lineman from the Raiders. Now, Brown was part of the 2018 Patriot team um, that won the Super Bowl. He played all 19 games that year, and uh, after the season was over, he left and signed a four-year, $66 million year uh, deal with the Raiders. Um, now, the Raiders are probably did this as a, as a salary dump. They are struggling with cap space. And so this is a way for them to uh, to free up some cap space for the coming year. So, as I said, a lot more to come as far as the NFL goes. Uh, we're still waiting to see if the Patriots are going to be able to pull some kind of a deal off uh, for a quarterback. The name Jimmy Garoppolo keeps coming up. Uh, John Lynch, the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, keeps saying that Garoppolo's our quarterback. But... I think it's going to depend on what the Patriots are willing to give up to get him. Now, they traded Garoppolo to San Francisco for a second-round draft pick. Uh, I can guarantee you this. If the San Francisco 49ers send him back to New England, it's going to be for more than a second-round draft pick. Uh, so it's going to and, – and Bill Belichick uh, does not like to uh, uh, trade a lot of high draft picks. You know, the, the the I I would be willing to bet you that the 49ers would be looking for a first round draft pick, and I'm not sure Bill Belichick is willing to do that. Uh, we'll see. You know, I still th- I think it more likely that Belichick will find a way this year to move up in the draft uh, to get a chance at one of the top four or five quarterbacks in this draft. That I could, I think is more likely. Uh, than the Patriots trading to get Garoppolo. Not that I wouldn't like to see Garoppolo here. If he's if he can stay healthy, uh, you know, Garoppolo would be a great addition to the Patriots. I'm just not sure it's in the cards. So uh, stay tuned. But anyway, Dan will be on on uh, Friday at 9:30 to talk about that. All right, let's get to baseball. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, met the media yesterday in Milwaukee for the first time. He suited up for the first time with the Brewers. He's still, you know, several days away probably from getting into spring training games as he works his way back into playing shape. Um, but he met with the media, including uh, Pete Abraham from the Boston Globe, and uh, talked about the free agency process, talked about the fact that he actually enjoyed it, you know, uh, that he got to spend some quality time with the family and, you know, the offers came into him, and, and he and his agent had time to to evaluate them. And he did say that there was some conversations with the Boston Red Sox. A lot of people doubted that. You know, a lot of people said, well, you know, with all the moves that the Red Sox made, there's no way that Bradley's even in, he, despite what Bloom kept saying about they were keeping in touch. Uh, well, Bradley seemed to uh, to confirm yesterday that the Red Sox did show interest Um Jackie just decided that it was the right thing to do where he felt like for his family, and he was betting on himself because this is essentially a one-year deal. It's a two, it's two years, but J- Jackie has an opt-out after year number one. He's It's one year for $13 million, and then there's an $11 million option for 2022 if he wants to stay. Now, 
you know, again, I don't know what Milwaukee's going to do here because Milwaukee's outfield was set before they traded for Bradley. They have Lorenzo Kane, who's their center fielder, and then in the corners they have Christian Yelich and Avisio Garcia. They don't need Jackie Bradley. Jackie Bradley is not a fourth outfielder. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, this is a guy that needs to be starting every day because what he brings to you defensively is important. Now, the Brewers do have a bit of a break right now in that Lorenzo Cain is hurt. Uh, he still has not played. So, And the fact that the National League does not have a designated hitter this year makes it a little bit more difficult for the Brewers as well. So Craig Council is going to have uh, a hell of a job trying to figure out what he's going to do. Now, Kane can play the corner outfielder. He has played both left and right field in his career. He's been primarily a center fielder. But I'll tell you what, here's the, the greatest thing. Uh, Pete Abraham and his uh, story that he had about his conversation with Bradley yesterday, he said playing, uh, paying Bradley $13 million to play in a corner would be akin to buying a masterpiece and hanging it in your shed. <laughs> That is a great line. And and he also said, look, Christian Yellows is one of the best players in the game. If he's healthy, he's playing every day. So you're not getting him out of the lineup. You're not getting Abisail Garcia out of the lineup. Garcia, by the way, I watched the Brewers game yesterday. Uh, he's dropped about 30 pounds, and he is ripping the ball. This is a guy who is a great offensive player, and now he looks like he is in the best shape of his life. So there's another guy. You're probably, if he's healthy, you're not getting him out of the lineup. So that leaves now, what are you doing in center field between Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley? Are you going to platoon them? Are you going to, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, are you going to, you're going to shuffle one guy out every day and so that, so that you try to keep everybody. And, and by the way, if you do that, that's going to keep nobody happy. You know, if every day you're you're resting one of those outfielders, and actually when you think about it, it's not going to be Yelich. They're not getting him. They're not giving him a day off unless he asks for it. You know, so really then you're talking about three guys for two spots, and if you're constantly rotating those guys, I think all three of them are going to be pissed off. So good luck to correct counsel. Um, you know, and look, Jackie Bradley has played on the corners, uh, but in the last five years, uh, Pete Abraham points out that Bradley has only not played center field 18 times in the last five years. And I, I tell you, I'm telling you right now, the Red Sox are going to regret this. They are going to regret not signing Jackie Bradley Jr. And I've said this before, and I will continue to say it till the cows come home. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be saying it all season long when balls in the gap fall in or some shallow fly ball fa falls in, and I'm going to say Jackie Bradley Jr. would have gotten to that ball. Um, and, and as uh, has been pointed out as well, the corner outfielders are not going to be able to cheat over towards the lines as much as they have in the past because they're no longer going to have Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field that can make up for those gaps that are in left and right center when the corner outfielders are cheating over towards the lines. The Red Sox are going to regret this. I wish Jackie all the best. Uh, I hope, and, and you know, and, and Jackie was very classy with his comments yesterday. 
said, you know, he's got some great friends and he hasn't, he, he's going to make some kind of statement or put out some kind of statement to the fans to thank them for their support over the years. And, and to be fair, I mean, Jackie's being gracious here because he took a lot of abuse for the times that he didn't hit. But the last couple of years, there's been a suddenly a love fest with Jackie Bradley Jr.'s defense, which great, but he was booting off a lot at times. So he's being very gracious, but he said that he is waiting to try to put together his thoughts, and then he's going to release some kind of a statement to uh, to thank the fans for their support over the years uh, in Boston. So, uh, but I'm I'm going to miss Jackie. The Red Sox are going to miss Jackie more than they think. Uh, I'm telling you that it's going to cost them some runs this season. There's no doubt in my mind. It's 45 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It's 46 minutes past. Yeah, we've got a few minutes to go before uh, we are out of here for the day. Um, some other baseball news. Uh, the mayor of Chicago has announced that fans are going to be allowed back at Wrigley Field. Um and at uh, a progressive field for the White Sox as well. Uh, 20% capacity for the upcoming season, so that means about 8,000 fans a game. Um, they're still going to have to do social distancing, so it's going to have to be you know, the whole pod thing that a lot of other clubs are doing. So with that decision by Chicago, that means that every team except for the Toronto Blue Jays will have a limited number of fans in the seats this season. Now, and that's not quite fair because Toronto's not even playing in Toronto right now. And I would imagine once they get back to Toronto, they'll be able to have fans as well. Uh, They're going to be playing some of their games in Florida at their minor league facility. If that's the case, I'm sure there will be able to be fans in their, their minor league facility. Uh, They're also going to play some games in Buffalo. Well, if they're allowing fans at Yankee Stadium and City Field, I guarantee you the governor of New York, although he's a little bit busy right now defending himself, (laughs) but I'm sure the governor of New York is going to allow fans in Buffalo as well. So I think this is, uh, I think that, uh, you know, this is Bob Nightingale of the of USA Today pointed that out. But really, when you think about it, they may not be in Toronto, but the Blue Jays will have some fans, whether it's in Florida or whether it's in Buffalo. They'll have somebody there. Um, the New York Mets and Francisco Lindor are reportedly going to begin talks on a contract extension this week. Um, he is playing right now on a one-year $22 million deal. Uh, that expires at the end of the season. And obviously, you know, with the commitment that the Mets have made bringing Lindor over there, uh, they need to extend him. Now, Lindor has said that there is mutual interest to work out an extension. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, you have to think when the Mets made this trade, they had some confidence that they would be able to sign him to some kind of a long-term deal. Um, so we'll see. I mean, look, this is a guy, he's a special player, not just, not just for his offensive skills and his defensive skills. I mean, he's a 285 career hitter, uh, got a lot of power for a shortstop and, uh, four time all-star, a couple of gold gloves, but it's not even that it's his personality. He is, I mean, I love this guy. 
and you know, and the world, and, and as much as I hate the whole mic'd up thing that ESPN does for spring training and Fox does sometimes, I, as much as I don't like it, they did this with Lindor. I want to say it was at an all-star game a couple of years ago, and I think it was the first time that a national audience really got to see what kind of an infectious personality this guy has and how much he loves the game and how, how he plays the game with joy, which, by the way, uh, you ought to. Every Major League Baseball player that complains about his job, quote-unquote his job, should be ashamed of themselves where they're getting paid exorbitant amounts of money to play something that a lot of people would do for free. You know, I mean, uh, I obviously didn't have the talent to play in the major leagues, but if, you know, if I had been given an opportunity to play it, uh, I would have done it for nothing. You know, just, I mean, that's how much I love the game. So uh, they're saying that there's a soft deadline of this of opening day. So if they can't come up with something uh, in the next, uh, what, the next three weeks, then uh, it's liable to stretch into the off season. But uh, uh, I would not be at all surprised. And with Steve Cohen, the new owner there, uh, they look like they are committed uh, to keeping their players there. So uh, that's it's good news if, if you're a Met fan. Um, Major League Baseball uh, released a uh, uh, their, their complete schedule is out, and uh, there was a story in the AP this morning. Uh, some dates to look at this year, some things that, you know, of interest. Well, obviously, opening day is going to be a big thing, but uh, and there's a good there's a there's a couple of good opening day games. I'm going to be very curious to watch the opening day game between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Yankees. Why? Well, because the Blue Jays have spent a lot of money in the off season. George Springer is there now. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see just how good that Toronto team is. I still think they don't have enough pitching to. I think people. Uh, I think a lot of the people that are projecting them to be a second or third place team uh, in that division, I think, are betting a little high. I just don't think they have the pitching. I, I still think the Red Sox finish ahead of the Blue Jays. Or maybe, and, and you know, maybe that's my fandom talking, but I just don't think that that they have enough pitching. But we'll see. Uh, but another interesting game or interesting series coming up uh, the first week of April, the Nationals and the Dodgers, the two last World Series champions, uh, will be playing uh, in Dodger Stadium. Uh, that's going to be a great series. Uh, how about in June, uh, June 21st, the Dodgers head to the Padres for a three-game series, the two teams that are arguably the two teams that are going to battle it out for the AL West or the NL West and arguably two of the best teams in in the National League, period. So that'll be fun. Uh, July 1st, going to be a lot of fun. Nolan Arenado, who, of course, uh, signed with the or was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, will be heading back to his old team. The Cardinals will be at Colorado uh, for a four-game series starting on Thursday, July 1st. So that'll be fun. Of course, the All-Star game coming up um, middle of July. And then they're going to try again to have that Field of Dreams game this year that uh, out in Iowa on the field where the movie Field of Dreams was uh, uh, done. Uh, it'll be the White Sox and the Yankees uh, on August 12th. So hopefully they'll be able to pull that off this year. Um, that's just going to be cool. Field of Dreams is a movie I've seen like a million times. Uh, by the way, you know, I was talk- thinking about the All-Star game, and, and I've, I've said all along that to me the All-Star game is the only All-Star game in any of the major sports that 
is worth watching. I don't, I don't get the other ones. And that opinion was driven home even more just this last weekend when they had the NBA All-Star Game. What an absolute joke that was. Absolute joke. Uh, the final score was 170 to 150, but that aside, guys were just, nobody was playing defense. Or guys are getting out of their way so guys can come down the lane and showboat, you know, with these ridiculous dunks. And by the way, a, a few of which were missed, which I thought was hysterical. Nobody's playing defense on Steph Curry. They're just letting him take the ball behind the three-point line and jack up anything he wants with no defense on him. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, we all know what a joke that the NFL Pro Bowl was because uh, nobody really wants to be in it. Uh, what a joke the NHL All-Star Game has turned out to be. Now they don't even, now it's like a skills competition and they do so many weird things. But it's just a joke. So baseball was the only one that's close to being normal. But even that, you know, where a guy, you know, a starting pitcher comes in, he pitches an inning, you know. So even at that, you know, it's it's kind of an aberration of the way a regular game is played, but it's the closest to me, and it, to me, it's the one where guys uh, can still play and take it the most seriously. You know, I mean, you're not going to see. It's not going to be like the old days with Pete Rose, you know, drilling a guy, running into a catcher in an All Star game. But you know, to me, uh, maybe it's time you, you just name an All Star team and not have an All Star game because what's the point? I mean, that NBA thing, honest to God, what an absolute joke the fact that they were having it anyway in the middle of a pandemic and with no fans it just it made zero sense to me and then after watching some of it it made even less sense um one other uh, note before we get out of here this morning a uh, uh riel cormier a former pitcher for the boston red sox uh, the phillies the cardinals and a couple of other teams passed away yesterday uh, he was only 53 years old he died of pancreatic cancer uh, he was from Canada. Matter of fact, he pitched for the Canadian uh, Olympic team in the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Um, set a number of records with the Phillies. Uh, he appeared one year in 84 games, which is a Phillies uh, record for a left-handed pitcher. Uh, reached the postseason twice in his 16-year career, both times with the Red Sox. Um, and uh, by all accounts, uh, a great teammate. They said that, uh, you know, that he was one of those guys that had a huge heart. He worked with a lot of charities uh, while he was with the Phillies, and he was involved in teenage anti-drug and suicide prevention programs in Canada. Uh, but uh, he had been battling uh, cancer for a, a couple of years and uh, passed away yesterday uh, at the age of 53. That is going to do it for us here this morning. Don't forget high school basketball coming up at uh, 7 o'clock tonight. Notre Dame of West Haven at Xavier should be a good one. Hope you can join us. We'll be back uh, tomorrow morning, of course, with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Blake Shelton, Minimum Wage. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.